Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. We'd and, love to hear from you. And if you put a 225 in front of that number, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. And there are some other digits that you can add to get us from anywhere in the world, correct? That's a fact. And we sure appreciate hearing from our out-of-state friends as well. Sure, and we'd like a different perspective of what's going on around the country. That's right. If you call us from out of state, we'll be sure to get your name and address and your size preference, and we'll get an Agco t-shirt USPSed out to you. First thing Monday morning. That's right. Just a little extra incentive for you to call. There you I go. know it's kind of a pain, particularly... You say you live in California and you're trying to listen live. Well, you right. got to get up three hours early. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it is a bit of a, a bit stretch. Of, bit of a stretch. That's right. right. That's right. Now, of course, if you live out on the East Coast, hey, you're an hour later. So that's, that's it. Even you're ready. I mean, that's right. You just go ahead and give us a call. Hey, 499-9526-225 in front of it. And we'll really, really love hearing from you. Try to get you some advice and point you in the right direction. That's right. And should you happen... Not to make calling the show today or think of something after the show goes off or maybe even think of something during the week you need a question answered. That's great. You can go to our website and send us an email and Lewis can answer your question any time of the day or night. And that address is www.agcoauto.com. Take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company mm-hmm. or a great company. There you go. And that'll get you to our website. Maybe prevent you from doing something that might have cost you a bunch of money. Right. You never know. I got a bunch of email here that we're going to probably try to read a little bit later in the show about folks who did send us. Okay. A lot of times you can just give them one little tip and they're like, wow, yeah, I didn't think of that. Exactly. I know even myself, when I worked in the shop, a lot of times I would get stumped on a job and you're just sitting there beating your head against the wall and someone else may come up and say, hey, how about such, such, such? Wow, it just never occurred to me. Exactly. I was too close to the problem. Exactly. So I've done yeah, it myself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anybody who's ever worked on a car can. <laughs> <laughs> or worked on anything. Or worked on anything, I guess, yeah. yeah. A washer machine or ice maker or whatever. There you go. relate to that. Hey, let's take a couple of these phone calls we got. We got Hill online. Good morning, Hill. Good morning, Mr. Lewis. How y'all doing over there? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Uh, uh, happy Father's Day. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Look, on that 69 Buick Electra, you did that other one for me, that, that brake booster, that Benix. Did you get that Benix booster or did I get it? I can't get one if you can't. Don't remember, Willie. They are still available out there. Most of what you're going to get is going to be rebuilt on a car that old, but they do a pretty good job rebuilding those, particularly the older ones. Some of the new ones I don't like to rebuild stuff on, but the older ones you can. There's actually a company in Portland, Oregon, that can rebuild that Bendix booster for you, put mm-hmm. a, put a new master cylinder on it, and send it back to you. I had. Well, well, I- I got go. a book there. I can just order them. They already over there, over there. Jerry's at that Buick place. Always, yeah, something like something that's just as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to go with that heavy silicone uh, brake fluid. Okay. So would that be a lot of problem when you change that out to flush all that out? Yes, sir. You can't flush in? that out, Willie. You're going to have to change every piece of rubber in the system if you want to do that because it's not okay. compatible with the dot three and the dot four. Right. That means the master cylinder, the hoses, the calipers, the cylinders. Anything that's got a rubber Anything component Anything that's got in it. rubber in it is going to have to be replaced. And once you put that in, it is a wonderful product because it's not going to corrode like DOT 3 and DOT 4 does. And exactly. it also won't damage the paint if it gets on it. So that's another benefit. But you do have to replace every piece of rubber in the system because if you leave the DOT 3 in there soaked into that rubber, it's going to contaminate it and you can have hot spots, which is going to end up corroding your system up. I got you. Okay, well... I'm gonna have to get that over there and let you change that one out, like you and put it, get it in shape, like you do that other one. Okay, then. all right. Take care of it. I'll just go ahead and order the one of them. Yeah, go ahead and get all your stuff together. In the car when I bring it. Absolutely, sounds like a great idea. 
Okay, Chief, y'all have a happy weekend. Oh, all right, well, thank, thank you. you, man. Bye-bye. Okay. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. Oh, Willie's got some nice old cars. Oh, man. he does. Beautiful automobile. Yeah, he just loves that kind of stuff. Of course, he's retired. He's got plenty, plenty of time to mess with him. Right. And that guy can detail a car. Oh, my God. Like it's nobody you ever saw. I tell you, <laughs> the cars, when they roll in the shop, they look like they just rolled off the showroom floor. Oh, look a, they whole, are beautiful. a whole lot better than that. They are beautiful. Yeah, Willie will sit there and just, I mean, work something to the nth degree. Oh, yeah. Uh, Real and, meticulous. Yeah, he is. I was doing a lot of woodwork at one time, came by, and he says, I, I had these wood chisels that I just couldn't get them sharp like I want them. Uh-huh. And Willis, let me sharpen them up for you. <laughs> he took those so you could have shaved with them, man. I bet. I mean, they still got an edge on it. That's been several years ago. Yeah, I remember. So he's a real meticulous guy. He takes a lot, a lot of time in the things he does. And, boy, that really shows on those Oh, it cars. does. It does. He likes some big body, long Buick Electras and the kind of odd thing that you don't see around much. You know, you see most of Chevrolets and Fords and stuff, but... Mm-hmm. Man, he'll take a Buick or an Oldsmobile. Beautiful cars. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, just go through them to the nth degree and, I mean, really, really clean them up. We may have to get photos of some of his cars on the website. There That'd be great. Some point. And I did, like, Bob McCarron. We got some pictures of some of his stuff on uh-huh. there. And might have to get – I didn't think about Mr. Willie on that stuff. Boy, he's got some nice, nice old cars. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Show them off a little bit. Oh, I guarantee you. You know, sort of a resurgence, I guess, of interest in the older domestic cars and – of course, some of the television programs that are on now, you know, like the American Restoration, right. and Counting Cars, and all those different programs, I think that kind of stirs up interest in that kind of stuff. It does, and there's still a few gems left to be found, mm-hmm. but there's not many left, Yeah, they get, and they're getting premium dollar for them. Oh, they are. I, I've heard people tell me the money they're paying for a lot of these older I cars know. they're buying, I'm like, wow, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember the old days, we'd pick up a car 50 bucks, you know. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> 50 bucks, drive it for three years, and sell it for 50 uh, bucks. Yeah, I guarantee you. know, the first car I ever owned, I had a 55 Chevy two-door hardtop, $50 car. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of messing around with the old Fords a little bit, and, man, you start looking, and the price that people want for a car that needs to be restored mm-hmm. is just outrageous. Well, and... The cost of restoration, I mean, if you can do a lion's share of the work yourself, then it's probably not going to be too, too bad. But if you have to pay to have everything done. Right. If you can weld, if you can work metal, you mm-hmm. know, you can do body work. And have a place to do it And have a place to do it. And like you, doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And have the time to do it. You mm-hmm. can get by 10, 15 grand. Yeah. If you have to pay to have all that done, I know what you see on TV and all, and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, 10000 Man, $10,000 not even make a, exactly. a dent. In an old car, when you really start paying somebody hour after hour after hour, right? Go in and start restoring these things. So yeah, your labor rates forty, fifty, sixty bucks at least in, in body work. Yeah, at least, and then you could spend easily hundreds and hundreds of hours. Oh yeah, to get one of these cars back in shape. Most definitely. We're going back to phone line. We got John online. Good morning, John. Yes, yes, sir. I'm here. I got a 1950 Plymouth that belonged to my great granddad. All right, cool. And it is leaking water out from the back of from the bell house. Okay. Which means, I think, that means that the freeze plugs are gone, Most right? likely there's a freeze plug, yes, sir. How do I go about getting that sucker out? Well, you're either going to have to pull the transmission or pull the engine. That's going to be your only two bets because the, the plugs on that one, if it's the one I'm thinking of, are going to be right in the bell housing area. I think it's one on either side of the camshaft, and right. they're right directly in there. So the easiest by far is going to be pull the transmission. Yeah, pull the transmission, okay. pull the flywheel. Now, I can tell you, John, if those two are rusted out or either one of those is rusted out, all the rest of them are going to be in very yeah, close. I, I can see them starting to weep a little bit. Yeah. I was thinking about just yanking the whole motor. Is that a horrible pain? No, it's really not bad on that old car. It's going to be 
fairly straightforward. You gotta come along in an oak tree, <laughs> you can pretty much do it. <laughs> if you got an engine lift, it's even easier. But well, yeah, that would probably make sense. And well, I'd just take the hood off and undo the undo yeah, the bell house. Yeah, gonna come out right from the, the top. You probably right. pull the radiator, pull the fan off. Uh, you could yeah. probably pull the transmission with the engine. Might be easier. Some of them it was easy to pull as an assembly. Some of them you crawl in there, take the transmission loose, and leave it in the car and pull the motor. Just depends on your personal preference. But generally, the opening that the hood was big enough to where it could all come out together. The only thing about pulling that transmission with the engine is it's got fluid in it. When you tilt it back, the fluid's coming running yeah, out the tail house. Yeah, it's going to go everywhere. So you're yeah. going to have to get a plug. the transmission in there because that column shift just doesn't look like fun to reset. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can just undo it and take and get something to block it up where it doesn't hang down once you take the engine loose. And it's not going to be, as newer cars go, it's not going to be like that. Not like trying to pull a transverse mounted front-wheel drive in. It's not a walk in the park, but it's not a killer either. Right, it's not that difficult. And, John, you could probably find a set of brass freeze plugs for that car. Most of your, your marine applications are going to use a brass plug because they're in salt water. And a brass plug will have the advantage it's not ever going to rust out. I mean, it'll cost okay. you a little more for the plugs, but it's, it's solid. But if I don't have to do this again, it's definitely Yeah, it was exactly. a mute, mute point. Instead of 50 cents a piece, they cost $2 a piece. So times 10, yeah. it's not talking big money. But, yeah, okay. that probably work out real well for you. Okay, well, I appreciate it, guys. Well, great, John. Where are you calling from? From Houston. Okay, great. All right. We'll give the producer your name and phone numbers, and I'll get an Agco T-shirt out to you. I appreciate you, man. Hey, thanks, John. Bye-bye. Thank you. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That'd be those old cars are something else. Yeah, they really are. They're real easy to work on mm-hmm. for the, the guys that used to work on them. Mm-hmm. They're real easy to learn to work on because it's real old technology. It is pretty straightforward. It's a lot of physics involved. Sure. And if you have a good mechanical aptitude, you can generally figure things out. Sure, because it, it's all mechanical type things. You know, you got a carburetor. If it doesn't squirt gas, then there's no fuel getting in the engine. Right. You got to figure out why it doesn't squirt well, gas. Well, you can look right down the air horn and see if it's squirting gas. Exactly. <laughs> and if it's get if it's spraying out, it's got enough to run. Well, and it's not like the modern day fuel pump. Well, where, and see the thing with cars today, for the most part, you take an engine and you say, okay, well, the things that will keep it from running are a lack of fuel, a lack of spark, a lack of timing, or a lack of compression. Correct. But now, just to check any one of those, for instance, to check fuel, it's an injector, so you can't look at it and see if you got fuel. You've got to have a gauge of some sort to measure the fuel pressure. It has uh-huh. to be the right amount, so you've got to have a specification on it. You have to have a way to attach, which requires a number of different adapters. Sure. To check spark, many of them have call packs, so you can't see the spark. You can't pull a plug wire off check it. If you pull the call pack out, now it's not going to spark anymore. Right. To check timing, there's no timing marks on it. So each thing just becomes very, 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 very much more difficult without just a ton of equipment and training and tooling and stuff, as opposed to these old vehicles that it was, if you understood just a handful of things, right? pretty much make up. Well, just like the four things you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Timing, fuel. Fuel, spark, and compression. Uh, <laughs> all right. It ran out of my head there. Yeah, you know, if you got all those if you four, got those, it's going to run. Right, it's going to run. Mm-hmm. A whole lot simpler than what we got nowadays. Hey, Mike, you're online. Uh, hey, Liz. I've got a 2000 Yukon XL, uh-huh. and my fuel gauge, while I'm going on, a, on the road or so out there, my... It'll go from full, and all of a sudden it'll show it's empty, and uh-huh. then later on it'll come back full, okay. back and yes, forth. Mm-hmm. So the only way I know if my tank's full or not is to keep track of the mileage. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Any idea what I can do about that? Yeah, Mike, that's almost always going to be the fuel sender unit inside the tank. Let me ask you one more question. Does yours have a little low-fuel warning light on it? Uh, yes. Okay, does that come on when it shows low? Not always, but almost all of the time, yes. Yeah, if that comes on when the gauge drops down. 
then it's going to be the sender unit in the tank. Now, if the gauge drops to almost zero and that does not come on, then you're more likely the gauge in the dash. And both of them give quite a bit of problems. Your, you say yours is 2001? It's a 2000. 2000 model. Yeah, that would actually be before the real problematic gauges. The gauges really start having trouble in 03. 03 to 07 is actually a recall out for dash gauge problems. Yeah, if the light comes on, it's going to almost always be the fuel sender unit in the tank. How many hey, miles you got on it, Mike? About 110. Yeah, original fuel pump? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're not been making that noise for a long time. Yeah, you're not uh-huh. going to hurt yourself at all, Mike, to go ahead and just change the fuel pump and the sender unit at the same time. Reason being, you're already paying the labor to drop the tank. And those fuel pumps, you're pretty much at the end of the life at 110000 I mean, some make 120 some make 130 But if you can go to the extent of changing the sender unit, you might as well change the pump and the sender unit, particularly if it's been making some noise. When you buy those from GM, they come with the sending unit and the fuel some pump? Some do, some don't. You just have to look at it and see how that particular one is offered. Most of them, you get the sending unit when you buy the pump module. Some of them, it's a separate unit. You can buy it separately. Most time, when you buy the whole module, it comes with the sending unit, though. Now, what if I wanted to do the work myself? You can do it. Is You said it's a Yukon? Oh, yeah, you're going to have to drop the tank from underneath, and that one's got a pretty big tank. It's going to be a bit of a problem without a lift and a jack, but it can be done. All right, it's, it's just... a 27-gallon tank, and do yourself a favor, take the drive shaft out because mm-hmm. it's a lot oh, really? easier with the drive shaft out of the way. Yeah, if you it sh- gives you a lot oh, more room to work. Try to squeeze it between. you got to put it at an angle, and if it gets away from you, it's going to hurt you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. All, All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, I appreciate man. it. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Have a good day. Uh-huh. We gotta take a quick little break. Jesse, hang on, you be straight up after the break. Travel my way, take the highway. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we're going back to the lines with Jesse. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning, sir. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. I've got 2001 Silverado uh-huh. compressor locked up mm-hmm. and changed everything out. And I've got all kind of numbers from parts people on about the amount, how many ounces of 134A that goes back in it. Well, usually what do y'all put in it? Well, there's going to be a tag under the hood. It's going to tell you exactly what it takes, Jesse. Just look on that little information tag. It's going to give you the exact amount. Okay, I'll go... Listen, every vehicle sold in the United States is going to have that as part of the mandatory information on that tag under the hood. And it varies from car to car to car, depending on if it's got dual air or if it's got single air or what options it has, what size condenser it has, and all those sorts of things. But, yeah, that information will be listed under the hood of the car on the little placard that's stuck in there. It'll have refrigerant 
type and a capacity. I think if I just had to guess off the top of my head, if it's a single unit, it's going to be right. around Maybe two pounds. I think the dual units take around three pounds. But again, you better look that up because that has got to be precise. That right. can't be five ounces either way or you will have trouble. Right. I, the tag for the belts and all that's saying uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and look like There will be one. It may not be on the same one with the belts. It may be with the right. emissions data because I think that's controlled under federal law, and so it's going to be with your federal emissions type stuff. But it's going to list the type of refrigerant, refrigerant which, of course, 134A is almost standard nowadays, right. and it's also going to have the capacity of it. Okay, I'll go back and take another look. All right, hey, if you can't find it, just shoot me an email, and I'll look it up for you in service data. Mind if I appreciate All right, Jesse, thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526, number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Just go ahead and give us a call. That's one of those things, if you don't know the right amount, uh -huh. you will really, really go wrong on any kind of a modern vehicle. Because the old days when you just charged up and watched the gauges and knew when it was charged, those are long, long since passed. Right. That went out with the R12. Well, it did. And with the new systems, most of them have variable displacement compressors. And those compressors can change those pressures to anything they want them to be. Exactly. And so you could be vastly overcharged or vastly undercharged uh -huh. and still have good readings or what you think is good readings and right. destroy a brand new compressor that you just put on. Probably two, three times a week, someone will bring a car in and they'll have various different complaints and you check it and the system's overcharged. Uh -huh. Someone's added more refrigerant. One of the biggest things that happens, because it's very, very common for the electrical cooling fans to go out, one or both of them will either go out or even not go out, but not Just turn slow down. at full speed. Yeah. Yeah, turn right. slower than normal, which elevates the high side pressure and the car stops cooling as well. Uh -huh. Well, the first thing you do is take it to some jughead who scorched some more refrigerant in it. All right. Well, then it's, you already had too much pressure. Now it's way overpressured. Now it's way overpressured, so it takes out the compressor and it takes out the evaporator core. Right. Because the high pressure can actually unfold the little creases in the evaporator core. So you just took a job that might have been three or four hundred dollars for a cooling fan you still got to do the cooling fan but now you done bought a compressor and a evaporator and mm. when you change the compressor you better change the condenser because oh, yeah. all the metal and trash that came out of that compressor is now in that condenser that's right and an evaporator some of them are real easy to get to some of them you got to take the entire dash out well, to the back right. of the firewall oh, yeah. i mean it's real unnerving to walk on there and see the back of the firewall. That's right. And nothing else in the vehicle. Oh, yeah. Just to get the evaporator out. Particularly your domestic cars. Some of your Asian cars have more access. You can actually drop the glove box and stuff like that. Some of the earlier models even had panels on the outside you could take off to get the evaporator. But most of your domestic cars today, you have to take the entire dash out of the car. Right. And that's uh, that's not an easy job. No. Or and a it's, quick job. It, exactly. Or an inexpensive it's job. It's a very expensive <laughs> job. Yeah. But the thing, too, is that when that compressor comes apart, all that debris out of the compressor is going to leave the compressor and go straight into the condenser. Correct. And if you ever took a modern 134A condenser and cut a cross-section of it, what you're going to see is a series of very, very tiny holes that are very, 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 very long. I don't know what the length if you stretch all those tubes out. I'd say probably 100 yards of tube. Right. And tiny little holes. There is absolutely no possible way to clean a condenser. No. You cannot do it. So what's going to happen is that you put your brand new compressor on. It's going to work okay for a little while until a piece or two of that metal finally works its way through that condenser, goes right through the system, comes back and takes that brand new compressor out. Right. Then you've got double the garbage. Well, now you've the got components. twice as much trash in, so it right. becomes even more difficult to clean. 
So you really only get one shot at fixing an air conditioner. Correct. And the one thing I hate more than anything in the world is people come in and they've already done a bunch of work on it because you know they put a cheap rebuilt right. compressor on it, which has now come apart. The system's already totally contaminated. I mean, the odds of fixing this thing properly now are almost Her. nil. And you can't just go out and buy an air conditioner system. you got to buy parts of an air conditioner system. You'll just total your car. Oh, yeah. You really will trying to buy each one of the components that you're going to need. I mean, you can very easily spend two to $3,000 trying to fix an air conditioner. And I can tell you, South Louisiana, running around without AC, <laughs> that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> That just is not going to happen unless you're you. just a whole lot tougher than I am. There you go. <laughs> We're going back to our phone lines. Clay, good morning, Clay. Good morning. Yes, good sir. Good morning. I just have a question. I have Ford uh, 2010 F-150. Okay. My transmission is acting a little funny. Mm-hmm. It has about 38,000 miles. Mm-hmm. It seems when I come to a complete stop or shift from gear two to gear to two one, mm-hmm. feeling a little bump or a slip. Tell me exactly what's it doing, Clay, and when does it do it? Is it like after you've come to the stop when you're sitting still that you feel it? Yes, it's almost when I'm at the complete stop, and it also feels a little slip when I'm pushing the gas to start going again. i tell you what that might be, because this is very common on that truck, what they call drive shaft clunk. And what it is, as you come to a stop, the vehicle is trying to stop, so the rear leaf springs, because they're attached to the tires, are stopping, but the body, the momentum wants to keep it going. So the drive shaft plunges forward into the transmission, and it's designed to. That's what it's supposed to do, is spline, where it can move in and out. Ford had a problem, and GM had the same problem for years. When that shaft plunges in, it tends to bind. And when you come to a stop and you let off the brake a little bit, it kind of relaxes and boom. It's almost like somebody bumped you from the back. It may also do it when you go to take off, just a boom. And it's a single thud. feels like somebody bumped you from the back of the car. That is most easily fixed by just taking the dry shaft out and lubricating those splines with a proper synthetic-type lubricant. That's going to get it out for a while. Eventually, it's going to come back. It's just a design flaw. And I've had a number of people email on the later model Fords with that problem. Go to the website, and there's an article on that topic. It'll tell you exactly how to do it. Agcoauto.com. Yep. Thank you very much. All Thank right, you, man. Sir. Bye-bye. One more quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me, and take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Haldesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call, 499-9526. And we got Eric on the line. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, Good morning. I have an 03 Lexus LS430, uh-huh. and the VSC light uh, came on recently on the dash. Vehicle mm-hmm. 
Skid control, yes. Control. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I called the dealership, and they said to check the gas cap mm-hmm. and then drive it for 60 miles or an hour. Mm-hmm. It's still on, and yeah. I don't know if that's really Is the check engine light on also? Yes, sir. Yeah. See, what happens, Eric, is that on Toyota, when the check engine light comes on, it's going to automatically turn on the VSC light because it can't communicate while there's a code stored. So okay. those are both going to be the same problem, most likely. Now, the reason they told you the gas cap, I don't know if they're just trying to get rid of you or whatever. That's one out of 2,000 things that can make a light come on. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is just get it in. We can check the code, see what code is in. And with a little bit of detective work, we can see why that code is stored and what's going on. But what's going to happen is that it's got a malfunction in the system that the computer can't deal with. So it's going to put what they call a diagnostic trouble code out. And some of the things that can do that, a bad oxygen sensor can do that. That's one thing fairly common. A charcoal canister that's plugging up. I mean, I could name thousands of things. So it's not something you can guess at because you'll run out of money before I run out of guesses, you know. Okay. Could a dirty Uh, air filter cause that? No, sir. It does not check that. It checks engine management system. And there's the things like low oil level or low coolant level or dirty, they all have their own lights. Okay. This is strictly going to be engine management system. Right. It's something that you're not going to be able to see. It's going to be a sensor or something. I just put an article on the website this morning all about sensors. You might go in and read that. It'll tell you a little bit about it. But it's a matter of going in, retrieve the code. That's going to tell you the area that the default lies in. Then, like okay. I said, with some testing, you can narrow it down to what is causing the actual problem. Fix the problem, the light will go out, and then everything will be back good again. And you have the machine to I read the codes. I can do anything on that vehicle that it ever is going to need. Excellent. All, All right. right. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you very Bye-bye. much. Uh-huh. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to the phone lines with John. Good morning, John. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. Good morning. I got a 2002 Honda Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And the oil pan is stripped, the bolt for the drain. Yes, okay. sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear it's a common problem. What do you do to fix that? You're going to have to either replace the pan or, you. in some cases, you can actually drop the pan and weld a little nut of the proper size and, you know, tap that and make that work. But you don't save a whole lot, just the price of the pan, which is not all that expensive. I can tell you what causes that, John. There's a little aluminum washer underneath that drain plug, and that is supposed to be replaced every single time you change the oil. And a lot of shops do not replace that. So what they do, the first time you tighten down, it crushes and it seals. The second time, it doesn't, so they tighten it up a little bit more. And the next time, they tighten it up a little bit more. And they exceed the torque specification, they pull which, the threads out of the pan. Which is 30 foot-pounds. Yeah, 30 foot-pounds is a proper torque, torque on it. And, again, that doesn't help you now, but in the future, make sure if you change your own oil or whoever changed your oil, they replace that little seal every single time. They're real cheap, less than a buck a piece. And you and can get them when you buy the Honda filter. You can ask the dealer, parts dealer for them. They'll supply you with as many as you want. Yeah, just a little aluminum seal. What and about d- these self-tapping drains? Not going to work. I wouldn't use them. They're not going to work. They, they're they bad news, John, because what's going to happen, that thing is going to pop out going down the road, burn the engine up. It's just not worth it. On that particular engine, the pan is relatively easy to change. Probably an hour to an hour and a half's labor to change it. The pan itself is not terribly expensive. And like I said, we have actually repaired some where it was a more expensive pan. But I think that one's got a steel pan on it, doesn't it? It's not aluminum? Uh, no, I think it's aluminum. Oh, it is aluminum. Okay, well, the pan will be a little bit more expensive than that. Yeah. And the you, chances of going in and fixing it are very slim. Yeah, on the steel pans, you can go in and weld a little. It's like a little metal tab in there, and you can weld a new one in and just retap it. I think 
I would just go ahead and bite the bullet, John. When you think about if you burn the motor up, you're talking what thousands. You yeah, then you what know, do you got? Compared to a pan, if it's a vehicle you're going to keep, if you say, hey, I'm going to keep this vehicle another six months, I'm getting rid of it, well, you could stick some of that junk in there. Well, they just bought it used, and I changed the oil for them, and it's got a leak, and uh, that's what I found. Mm-hmm. They put an oversized nut in there. Yeah, and those don't ever work because they don't yeah. really cut a good thread. Best bet is going to be to replace the pan. I mean, that's the safest bet, and that's the best bet. That's yeah, what we do. All yeah, once you do that, it's a done deal. Yeah, you finish with it. Right. And then in the future, okay. just get them to change that crush washer every single time, and they won't ever have trouble anymore. Awesome. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks, John. All right, sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That's a pretty common problem. It really is. We had a little Mazda come in earlier this week, and when I went to change his all, I took the plug out, and all but two of the threads were uh-huh. stripped. And I just told him, I said, man, look, I put a new seal on it. I torqued it down, and it worked. I says, it's probably not going to work next time. <laughs> right, right. So whoever's been changing you all in the past has really been getting silly with this plug. Yeah, those things, it's not where some's good, more's better. There's a proper exactly. amount of tension on and because that is a lubricated thread because it's got all all over it the torque spec is going to be relatively low uh-huh. because you don't have much resistance to turn and you're putting a tremendous amount of pressure and almost all of those are either going to have an integral seal made into the plug or they're going to have a crush washer correct the crush washers are designed to work one time so if it's a toyota or a honda those are designed to be replaced each and every time right the toyota one's actually like a little felt mm-hmm. type washer fiber kind of fiber like yeah hard plastic fiber looking stuff and then the one on the honda is an actual aluminum ring mm-hmm. that's designed to crush to a certain point at a certain torque that's right we and buy those a hundred at a time and keep them and we change them every single time and just never virtually never have any problems with no I, I haven't seen any that we've been servicing have any problems come back because we always torque the drain plug to the correct torque mm-hmm. and not only does that prevent a leak but it also prevents you from damaging that sure plug. any Actually, future problem got an article on the website on that topic all about torquing those drain plugs and stuff like that and why that's necessary because in the old days i guess most people didn't torque much of anything they no. just kind of pulled it down everything was kind of robust and you can get over built yeah nowadays man things are just built to a absolute minimum and they are you go in there and start just cranking down on stuff you're gonna not only may it not work but you're going to really create some issues. Sure. I've seen manufacturers just build lighter and lighter and lighter until things start failing, mm-hmm. and then they'll back up two or three <laughs> designs and go with that. <laughs> it happens. If you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah, go back to what used to work. <laughs> you see this kind of thing more and more and more. You know, I referred to the website several times, uh-huh. even today in every show. But if you go on and just kind of look around, you're going to find information on almost any topic you can imagine. There's over 300 detailed topics with data on just about any topic you can think about. That is a complete article on a certain topic. Mm -hmm. If you want to know about how much you should torque your lug nuts on your car, or should you torque your lug nuts on your car, or why your brake rotors keep warping. That Uh, is an excellent place for great information. mm -hmm. I was telling the gentleman earlier, we put one on this morning on sensors, and I had a gentleman who had written to me and asked me to do an article on sensors, and it's very hard to say a lot about sensors because there's so many different ones. Every one is totally different. Right. They all do a different job. There's not like a universal way of testing them. You can't say, okay, well, take a volt meter and check this and this and this because it depends on if it's a air fuel sensor or an oxygen sensor or a mass airflow sensor or a throttle position sensor or accelerator pedal sensor. 
and I could rattle off names for the rest of the show. Sure. But there are basically to hundreds of different types of sensors and thousands of different jobs they do. A lot of people aren't aware. Just a common, ordinary car today, take something like a 2013 Ford Focus. Okay. Has 70 computers. Seven zero. Wow. Yeah, 70 computers. This thing is generating gigabytes of information an hour. Right. All and, working on a serial bus. Right. It's all coming in through all the multitude of sensors. And some of you, oh, why? Well, okay, I know, I know. But, you know, <laughs> this, this, is, this is what we got to deal with because right. this is what's in there. And you think about not that many years ago, a B-17 could fly 25 missions over Germany getting shot at and wasn't a single sensor on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's just the way it was then and the way it is now. Sensors are a part of life. They're not going to go away. And as they add more and more features, they're they going to get more and more common. Right. So it kind of behooves you to understand just a little bit about how they all work. And that's what this article will do for you. It tells you just a little bit about what each one of these sensors does. For instance, a mass airflow sensor, what does that actually do? It actually takes How does the, the car use it? Right. It takes the amount of air coming into the throttle mm -hmm. and calculates that with the amount of fuel, and that's how the engine knows how much fuel to add because it's using the sensor to, to tell it. Right. Well, not only that, but it's looking at things like, for instance, it wants to know to take air temperature because hot air is less dense than cold air. Uh-huh. So it has to know that for a proper calculation. The barrow sensor or the MAP sensor is going to calculate barometric pressure because as you go to a higher altitude, there's less barometric pressure, so there's less natural force forcing air into the engine. So therefore, it's going to aspire differently than it does when it's not. So all of this type data, things like the engine coolant temperature sensor, well, it's going to use that not only to tell it how hot or cold the engine is, but it uses that to compare to, say, the intake air temperature sensor. It knows if the car has been run before or not. Uh -huh. Because if this is a cold start, it's going to operate one way. If this is a restart of the vehicle, it's going to operate a different way. Exactly. And not only that, some of the surprising things, like, for instance, a MAP sensor, manifold absolute pressure, is measuring the vacuum and intake manifold. Well, it uses that to determine how much load the engine's under, which actually is going to influence the way the transmission shifts. Uh -huh. Because as you accelerate the vehicle, the throttle position sensor is going to tell how wide open the throttle is, but it's also going to correlate with how much the engine vacuum drops in the engine. So when it sees engine vacuum dropping, it's going to know, okay, we probably need to go to a lower gear to try to optimize power. Then it'll look at the throttle position and say, okay, well, he's wide open, so he wants a lot of power. So it's going to take all these things into effect. It's going to tell the transmission computer what to do. It's going to calculate the best range Strategy. to be in. And if you got something like a CVT, a constantly variable transmission, well, it constantly varies the ratio because it doesn't have to shift a gear. It's got an infinite number of ratios that it can use. So it's looking at all of these different sensors. All of this data is coming in. And this is operating in hundreds of a second. Oh, yeah, thousands, thousands of a second. second. Yeah, basically at the speed of electricity or speed of light. And all of these sensors are coming in. Now, when one of them fails to report, or on modern cars, even, even reports something that does not make sense. For instance, they all have a sort of a fuzzy logic to them. And it knows, for instance, that a oxygen sensor is supposed to sweep back and forth it shouldn't be one side or the other of the midpoint midpoint being 128 counts it knows it should go on each side of that a number of times each second uh -huh. so if it quits switching or if it switches too much to the high or too much to the low it's going to pick that up and say hey something is wrong right it may not know what's wrong 
it may set an oxygen sensor code because that's what it's being affected. Now, that doesn't mean the sensor's bad. Because let's say we've got a spark plug that's misfiring. Well, what happens is that you're going to have actually more oxygen in your exhaust because combustion is not complete. So your oxygen sensor is going to pick that up as a lean signal. And so it's going to flag an oxygen sensor code. It has nothing to do with the oxygen sensor. The oxygen sensor is just doing what it's, it's supposed to do. It's doing its job. And what makes it way, way more confusing, more and more cars now, particularly the modern stuff, doesn't really use an oxygen sensor in the upstream position anymore. It uses an air-fuel sensor. Uh-huh. Air-fuel sensor reads completely opposite of an oxygen sensor, where an oxygen sensor will go rich to indicate a certain condition or increase voltage. The air-fuel sensor will decrease voltage to indicate the same condition. So you have to know which one you're dealing with right from the start, or you'll send yourself in a tizzy trying to figure well, out what's going on. And the way they're tested is totally different because one is working on amperage, the other one's operating on voltage. And it's just a totally, totally separate type thing. Air fuel sensors also operate at a much, much higher temperature range, around 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit for those to operate. Uh-huh. So they have to get hot faster, so they're more critical to something like the sensor, the heater. If the heater circuit doesn't work, doesn't get hot fast enough, it's going to flag an O2 code. Well, again, doesn't mean that the air fuel sensor is bad. It could be the relay that sends the power to it. Right. It could be the wire. The connector could have burned off. That's why you can't take a code and literally start changing parts from a code. Well, and you have to know how the system is operating and what components to start looking for. Well, that's exactly right. We go into that in this article where a map sensor reads manifold vacuum. So many engines use that to detect whether or not EGR is flowing. For instance, it will command EGR. When it does, it's going to expect the intake manifold vacuum to drop uh-huh. because pressure is flowing into the intake. Right. Now, if the manifold does not drop, it may set an EGR code. It may, it may set, set a map sensor code. Exactly. It may not set either one. It may set some totally different code. None of those are going to be the problem. You just have to understand how this works because if you go change the EGR valve, you did not even touch this problem. Right, and every manufacturer's is different about how you go about checking the systems out. Mm-hmm. We took a Chevrolet and a Toyota, created the same vacuum leak in them, and got two different codes out yeah, of them. Yeah, one set an O2 code, one, one set, set a mass airflow sensor code. Right. So it just depends on how that particular system is programmed as to what it's going to do. Hey, we're going to take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go.
Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour final segment. I'm your host, Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, I believe we can answer just about any questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526. If you happen to be out of state, you can always put a 225 in front of there, and you can reach us from anywhere in the U.S. That's it. And if you think of something after the show goes off the air here in about eight minutes, yep. <laughs> or uh, maybe during the week, you can always send us an email and get your questions answered that way. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. That's right. We appreciate hearing from you. We're going back to our phone lines. Roger, good morning, Roger. Morning. Yes, good sir. morning, sir. I've got a 01 Silverado mm-hmm. and starts, but it's like the, the throttle doesn't have any nowhere, and it just starts kind of weakly, very weak. And the guy said that it's something with the ejector lines that's under the intake manifold could very well be what engine you got roger it's a v6 yeah v6 is going to use what they call central port injection which was kind of a bad setup from the get-go gm had quite a bit of problem with that what we normally do on those if that is the problem you know number one i would diagnose and make sure that is a problem but gm sells a kit that you can convert that to port injection and that is going to be less expensive than replacing all that central port junk and much, much, much better. It drops right in as a direct replacement. You just take that old spider assembly out, throw it away. This goes right back in its place. Same wire plugs into it and has six little injectors. Is it, is it expensive? Yeah, it's, it's five, right. six hundred bucks for the kit to put it in there. Plus, you got to pull up upper intake, so it's not cheap. But it's cheaper than trying to fix the old central port injection. Okay, so if I've got a, it's a high mileage truck, it runs good. But mm-hmm. is it if I, if I had somebody pull the intake off and fix one or two of them, would that be a, a no, fix? No. It, you, you gonna, it's going to cost you more to do that, and you still ain't got nothing because they all uh-huh. go bad. Just a right. bad it, setup. All of them go bad around the same time. Right. So if you go in and change one or two, six months yeah. later, you're going to begin there changing yeah. some more again. Yeah, anybody that labor to go in there yeah, twice. Anybody would suggest that to you is not looking out for your best interest. Right. Well, it's just got 230,000 miles and runs like a top. Yeah, yeah. I've seen them go through. Yeah, and it's going to run better. Once you put the port injection, it'll run better than it ever did and get better gas miles and idle better, too. And you said about 600 bucks. The kit is about five hundred. There's a bracket that's about thirty, and plus labor to pull it upper intake and the gasket. So add all that up. Y'all could do it in what a couple of days. I can do that in one day with no problem at all. Okay, and that should cure me. If that's the problem, if that's what, yeah. I mean, I would diagnose the problem first. Yeah, I mean, there's I hope lots of things. Not could, the problem, but well, it may not be. You know, it may be low fuel yeah. pressure. It could be all kinds of things cause that. I mean, a bad crank sensor okay. can cause that. So you got to make sure that you're getting the proper diagnosis. I never, ever, right. ever quote prices on somebody else's diagnosis because about 75 sure. percent of the time they're wrong. <laughs> okay. All righty. Thank you, sir. Okay, right, Roger. Sir. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we got Ray online. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, sir. I have a question, sir. I have a 2000 Honda Odyssey, uh-huh. and the passenger side window suddenly stopped. I just want to know, is it a switch or is something else? Well, it could be. It could be any number of things, Ray. You just have to check it and see. The switch will do that. A wire can do that. The motor can do it. The regulator. I mean, there's lots and lots of things. Oh. Without taking the door apart and checking and seeing what's wrong with yours, it's impossible to say. And, you know, you can say, well, maybe it's this. Well, maybe it's all kind of stuff. Oh. You know, but you're going to run out of money before you run out of maybes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why you have to test it, and that way you know exactly what it is. You don't fix anything doesn't need fixing. Any auto repair is expensive enough if it's done right, but it yeah, gets yeah. astronomical when you start just guessing at stuff. 
All right. Thanks a million, man. Okay, Appreciate right. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. 499-9526. Number if you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. And I've got a pile of email here. I'd like to try to maybe read a couple of these if we get down. we got a second. Got a fellow from Huntsville, Alabama, who wrote, says he's got a Hyundai Sonata. Okay. And whenever he goes to fill it up, it keeps cutting off. Right. And every time he squeezes it, it cuts off. And I know that's a very, very common problem. It is, especially on new cars and a lot of your older cars. I'm thinking of one in particular mm-hmm. that actually vented through the gas cap. Right. And now that the new fuel pumps have the recovery system mm-hmm. on them, the tank can't vent, so it keeps cutting the, the that's fuel. That's right. And off. most of the time, that's a part of called the evaporative emissions charcoal canister. Uh-huh. And, of course, that's not the only thing that can do it, but that's one of the most common things that does it. What normally causes that part to go bad is that when you fill your car with gas and the pump cuts off the first time when it's acting normal, you should just stop filling right there. Right. If you top it off, in other words, you keep putting gas after it's cut off, that gas can overflow into the charcoal canister, which is designed to handle vapor, not, not liquid. Gas. And once that liquid gasoline gets into it, it's going to dissolve the linings and stuff that hold all the charcoal pellets in. Then they're going to go out, plug up the system, and then you're going to start cutting off. You, every time you squeeze the handle, it cuts off because it's backing up in the nozzle. Correct. It can't vent the pressure. That's as right. The fuel, as the fuel goes in, the air has to leave. That's right. If you put a gallon of fuel in, well, then a gallon of air has got to come out. Right. So that's kind of, if it doesn't have another way to go, then that's right. the way. Right. If, if the vents are stopped up, then it's not going to, it's just going to cut the pump off. Got another one here from a fellow up in Minnesota, and he says he's got two Toyotas, and both of them are getting a little bit on in years, and he brought them into the dealer, and they told him that they have sealed transmissions, and they don't require service. Sealed transmissions? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is foolish, but just kind of tells you to kind of hoopla that you get what toyota says is that they don't require service for a hundred thousand miles and where that comes from is a number of things number one toyota as a corporation realizes that the odds of having a problem are less by just leaving it alone for a hundred thousand miles than by someone improperly servicing it correct and i think this comes from the fact they may or may not trust their dealerships to do a proper service on it so they say just leave it alone and you're gonna make a hundred thousand. Most engineers consider a hundred thousand the life of a car. Sure. I don't. I consider three hundred thousand more close to the life of the car, but a proper service is gonna buy you some time. It's gonna keep you from having lubrication related problems. Those transmissions are not sealed. They do have a filter in them which can be replaced. They do have fluid which can be replaced. A proper service every fifty thousand miles is definitely gonna help you out. But another thing that makes them give this kind of information is that they are rated on the cost of maintenance now if they take something off their maintenance schedule like for instance they say okay it doesn't require service for a hundred thousand miles companies like consumer reports who rate the vehicle they just add up all the costs in the maintenance schedule sure. the less stuff in there they say it's lower lower maintenance costs right so more people buy those cars now that is false economy because yes you are saving the cost for transmission service but you're buying a transmission down the road exactly so instead of spending a hundred dollars 150 dollars 200 dollars on right transmission now. service you're spending four thousand dollars for a transmission later on <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's real it's terrible the way they're doing that that's right hey we gotta get on out of here and to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every saturday morning on automotive hour I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week tell your friends go to itunes and give us a written rating we getting on up there now i believe that's right we are getting up there and we've got a new feature on the site that'll actually take our ratings off itunes and put them live on the site so great i want to see how that works so yeah we need to get some new ratings there we go hey preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend